wrote besides your head and spirit. The soul is saying something profound, so let them hear it. Welcome to Giant Size Violence, a Toku Comics podcast. I'm your host, Tommy, and today we're going to be taking a look at the latest miniseries from the massive verse, Radiant Pink. Joining me today is a guest we've heard from before, but whose comic career has grown exponentially since we last spoke. In less than a year, she's gone from writing her first series, Dead Lucky, to now also writing the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers comics from Boom Studios, a short for Women of Marvel number one, and co-writing Radiant Pink. I'd like to give a warm welcome back to Melissa Flores. Hi, thanks for having me. Also joining me today is a woman of many talents. She's possibly represented more Pink Rangers than maybe any other actress on the planet, from voice acting Kimberly Hart, the original Pink Ranger, and Ranger Slayer in the fighting game Power Rangers Battle for the Grid, to playing her own original character, the Hyperforce Pink Ranger on Power Rangers Hyperforce. She's also a co-creator of The Unleashed, the interactive live stream TTRPG, along with Melissa, and she's written for The Try Guys. She's been making YouTube videos as Strawberry17 since probably before most of my listeners were even watching YouTube, with credits on Video Game High School, Lore in a Minute, and Minecraft Championships. As if that all weren't enough, she's had more real-life adventures than most writers ever will, from her time on reality game shows like The Amazing Race All-Stars and Fight of the Living Dead. With no further ado, I'd like to welcome Radiant Pink's co-writer, Megan Camarena, to the show. Welcome, Megan. I am just going to take you with me everywhere because that was like <laughs> the most robust like introduction ever. I need to add that to my bio. Thank you. Um, yeah, n- never make a resume again. Just drag me along and I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll get you way better. Like, what do you do? One second. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Bring in. So getting right to the main subject at hand here with Radiant Pink, we're now three issues into the miniseries. And for those who haven't had a chance to pick it up yet, how would you pitch the book to potential readers? And what do you think makes it stand out from other superhero titles and even other massive verse titles? Radiant Pink is just like, Melissa's is the best. Go ahead, Melissa. How would I pitch Radiant Pink? I pitch Radiant Pink as an incredible look at at mental health, at toxic relationships. No, also- you, that's not how you pitch it. You pitch it as, you just ruined this. I could say that. You said it's like <laughs> Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Well, then why didn't you say that? Because you say it's other things, and I, I can't remember okay. the other So uh, Radiant Pink is a bombastic journey through chaos and love. And it is essentially if you take Sliders and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Romeo and Juliet and throw it all together into a twisted, fun kaleidoscope of neon fairy tales, that's what you get with Radiant Pink. And it's very it's quick. gay. And it's, it's mm-hmm. very gay. Bill and Ted was gay. <laughs> yeah, issue two is... And Bill and Ted was gay, honestly. Let's all be honest. <laughs> I'm sorry, issue two was what? Yeah, I mean, issue two's got two lovers right on the cover, uh, two women kissing. And like, come on, it took DC like, 80 years to do that for the first time it took the massive verse like one so i mean that was always the plan i went in when kyle and i wrote issue 12 of radiant black um which is pink's origin story i was like this she's gonna be a fiery latina and she's gonna be hella queer like this just she's gonna be like she has to be she's half white half mexican but i'm like i want to make sure that like we're representing as many people as possible with this character um so like kudos to kyle for letting eva be as bright and colorful as she is on that note of creating her in radiant black number 12 
with a background as varied as yours, Megan, like what brought you to writing comics and Radiant Pink specifically? Um, I think comics have always been the plan. It's just like, how do you get there? How do you bridge the gap between being someone who's like worn so many hats? I've like I've done I've done a lot of different things online, but also I've been very good at keeping one foot in like traditional with uh, being on television and hosting for Disney XD and True TV um, and, and doing red carpets for Marvel. But being taken seriously as a writer without having any background other than me being a, my crazy self who has been around since the early stages of being a, a YouTuber or content creator. I feel like I have a unique perspective and a unique story, but like, how would I get there? I loved cosplaying. I loved reading comics. Like, I'm a big uh, G. Willow Wilson fan, Kelly Sue DeConnick, mm. Dan Slott. Mm, mm, mm. Mm-hmm. Perfection. Love them. But I, I'm i not like a writer traditionally, but I do have like some really great stories. And when the opportunity came up, because Kyle, he had been telling me about Radiant Black, and he's like, I think I'm going to make the pink character be like, kind of like a streamer like like what you do I, I want to like get more research and I'm like oh this is great like I have so much to share with you and we we're going over ideas and when he kind of presented the idea of co-creating that character I heavily took a lot of my life and put it into her and that's kind of paved the way for some like pretty cool opportunities and I'm just so grateful for Kyle to have taken the chance on me and given me the opportunity because right it's like it's it's a bit of like you showing up and being authentically yourself but also proving that that you can you can do that and he believed in me melissa's also been very great at mentoring me and making me a better writer being like megan you can't just write all caps you have to like bold it in the script you can't be yelling at people all the time i'm like but eva's yelling this <laughs> so oh, she's, she's really good she's got she's got an incredible natural talent it's just what I was helping with more like structure and stuff. The stuff that Kyle taught me, honestly, when I first started scripting was just, you know, hey, like word balloons should have like this many words and you might want to think about like this many panels on a page, like the, all that, all that kind of stuff is what I helped her with. Her her instincts as a writer are great. She's, I mean, she's a storyteller. She always has been. So it's not a lot to teach. She's really good at it. You little sweetie. I feel terrible if I'm misremembering, but I thought I remember it being mentioned when I saw you at C2E2 that Megan was kind of the inspiration for Radiant Pink in general? Yeah, no, uh, definitely from Kyle. I met Kyle on Hyperforce Pink, or I mean on Hyperforce. And he hadn't, he didn't, he knew nothing about this world, Hmm. like of online content creators, gamers. It was beyond him. And after he like decimated an entire like town and ruined our mission on Hyperforce, we ended up becoming really good friends. And from there, I think it just naturally, I mean, pink is a shade that has always looked so great on me. I'm glad I got to reprise it a bit. <laughs> now, you both have extensive experience in working on interactive media and live stream content, both as streamers and producers. With Ava slash Radiant Pink being a streamer herself, how do you feel like this experience has shaped the way that you write Ava? I guess for me, it's it's very authentic. These Anything that Eva has been through... Um, or that we've written out. Like literally, Maddie is Lena, who has been my like producer and my like right hand girl for everything that I've done. So like if I ever got superpowers, this is exactly what I would do and how I would run it. <laughs> so uh, the streaming side of things, I usually kind of take charge on that. 
and Melissa usually doubles down on the angst and heated yeah, and the, rest, the, the structure on the rest of it. I mean, we're kind of in a really interesting, fun position in that, you know, we're, we're telling things firsthand knowledge from not just Megan's experience, her firsthand experience, but also my perception as a friend that's been with her for now the past, what, six years. That really is the sweet spot. Yeah. Like we've gotten progressively closer these last six years and we've like done other projects together and we've gone like ups and downs. And so I've been able to like, she's seen me in really vulnerable places. I've seen her in really vulnerable places. And we have, I think we've kind of reached the point where we have an honesty with each other that I don't know if we'd be able to make this book as, as vulnerable as it is, were we not able to be so like open with each other where we talk about like our relationships and we talk about the difficulty of, of the streamer life and like, what are the challenges that Eva would have here and how would you react and, and not just the positives, but the negatives. And so it's really allowed us to craft together this really human story that comes from both of us, but really like spotlights the difficulty of that lifestyle and the amount of work that it maintains when you have the facade that you're trying to present and also the human underneath. Yeah. Melissa's seen me through a lot of like pretty bad relationships online. And what can I say? I wear my heart on my sleeve. I've had a lot of really rough lessons over the last five years. And the way we were writing Pink is Melissa would be like, well, this would actually happen. This this would, if if you were romantically interested in a person, the next step would be this. And there's been some moments where I've been so uncomfortable with seeing that side of it, but it's also been very therapeutic because I I think vulnerability is such a like a beautiful thing. I think it's it's like a real sign of strength and being able to showcase that and put it to paper, comic book pages. I think I think it's really cool. We've really we've really done something really special. We just wrapped up issue five and I couldn't be more proud of the story that we've written together. And like Melissa said, if we hadn't been so close and she hadn't seen me through all these things, we might have missed the mark because who wants to read another story about a crybaby influencer whose life is too hard? It's it's not that. That's not it. I don't want to read that either. It's something more than that. And there's no book that you can read on like the mental health of having your life and relationship be online and the war that's within yourself as you're trying to balance all of that. And I think we did a pretty good job with Pink. And it's it's that relatability, I think, that that makes it feel authentic and true, because, I mean, as much as, you know, Megan says I've seen her through stuff like she nobody will tell me the truth faster than Megan. Like it is one of those things where I can always count on her to like call me on my shit. And I like, don't have a filter sometimes. Yeah. And like and I know when she says that it's from a place of love, you know, so there's there's very rarely any defensiveness to what she's telling me. And so we're able to put that in the stories, you know, like a lot of it is based on her experience. But like, I mean, I'm in a very loving relationship right now, but I've had my share of crappy relationships before that. And, you know, I've had my ups and downs. And so like, it's really been a blessing to be able to do this with her because honestly, I, I truly, I love her to death and like to be able to do this with a friend as close as she is. It's been a lot of fun. Oh, you little, you, you keep saying the sweetest little things. It's, it's fan service. It's fan service. Oh, okay. I love this. Um, I'll say sweet things too once my brain wakes up. <laughs> now, Melissa, you've now had the chance to write your own original characters with the dead lucky and long-running licensed characters like the Power Rangers. Mm -hmm. But how 
I, I assume in that time you've come to develop something of a writing process now that the number of books you put out has increased so much. Yeah. How does the experience of co-writing with Megan compare to writing solo and how does it affect your process? It's, it's actually really nice, honestly, um, because it keeps me accountable. Like we've talked about it. Like usually our schedules have gotten a little crazier because we haven't been able to do this as much, but usually our writing process is she would come over for like four or five, six hours at a time. And like she literally would sit at a desk behind me a little Minecraft up, chair back there. Yeah. We'd sit on, like, we'd open up the same Google talk and then just talk and like write together. And the really cool thing about that is that, you know, I'm ADHD. So if I, unless I'm super hyper-focused, it can be like blood from a stone trying to get me to like throw out a page once in a while. And when she's there with me, looking at me, talking, keeping me through, it's that that focus that allows us like we can crank out a script in like a day, two days. If we, we got really, really good at, at jamming yeah. it out. And it was great to have that sounding board. It was great to have those discussions because even though when we disagreed, we talked about the approach and the solution on what we were going to do with this particular page and what the story was we wanted to tell. And then, you know, we also talked with Kyle and like sometimes we disagreed with Kyle and he also gave incredible notes. So it really was just this process that kept us moving forward in a really cool way. And like writing can be a very lonely experience when you're doing it by yourself. So to be able to do it with somebody and like I looked forward to those times when Megan was coming over because we like we got to order takeout and we got to like talk and like we <laughs> cake factory <laughs> we'd have lunch and eat and like watch a show Be like okay only only a 30 minute show and then yeah. we we're like well what about the ending it's 45 minutes yeah i'm like i'm obsessed with this like thai lesbian uh youtube series and i was like making her watch it with me and it was it's just so like, good <laughs> so we we're just having a lot of fun and um and honestly it was a blast i'm actually sad <laughs> i know so i know do you feel like writing a character created by close friends of yours, like Radiant Pink with Kyle and Megan, do you feel like that plays a huge role in how you go about writing Ava compared to like BB or one of the main rangers? No, I think I've said it before. I'm better at licensed characters, I think, than I am at original characters. I think The Dead Lucky for me is by far my hardest book because I have to create the entire world and all those rules. And even BB who is a wholly original character is heavily inspired by my girlfriend's experiences with PTSD, who you met. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, she's lovely. And so for me, like Radiant Pink already came in fully formed by that issue 12. Like I read that issue and I knew exactly who she was and, and I knew who she was informed by, but I also knew who she was separate from that, who Eva was as a character. And, and it's the same thing with Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Like I, I know who those people are. Like I've been with that brand for now, you know, yeah. I was a, I was like almost more than a decade at this point. So like when it comes to writing them, it, it comes off fairly easy. And and this process specifically was great because then we, we would talk. I like I literally would write a page and then Meg would go through and adjust the dialogue. Yeah. To make it sound, and like it would be like an amazing thing because then she'd put stuff in that I didn't even think of like that Eva would say. that was It was funny. the most satisfying when we would do this. And then like because we we would we would have our back and forth, but then we'd hit our flow. You know, and then it'd be absolute silence. And it was the most satisfying feeling when like you heard a little clicking and then a stop. And then one of us would laugh and be like, that was pretty <laughs> yeah. good. That was a good one. Like after reading what the other person had wrote. And so I'd feel like kind of like, you know, when you make your friends laugh, you're like, mm. yeah, yeah, that <laughs> was always yeah, I mean pretty satisfying. It was great because I mean, I know the Radiant Black world really, really well. And, and issue 12 was really great. And I had Megan there as my like Eva guider. 
So it was, it was, it was a piece of cake, honestly, it's just Kelly, I think was our, was our conundrum for a minute. We're trying to establish who Kelly was and how she would react to these situations and who we wanted her to be, because we didn't want, we didn't want her to be a full out villain. We wanted to be a person that's hurting and that's have nuance. Yeah. That's, that was, that was really important. I, I like in, in superhero comics, there's good guys and bad guys. Right. But like in real life, we're all just people who are hurting and figuring stuff out. And I feel like Radiant Black really dives into that a bit. Tells these like really uncomfortable, authentic stories that come from a, probably a pretty true place from someone that we might know or someone's personal life. So it's it's I wanted to make sure we kept that and honored that because Kyle set that up really nicely. And Megan, I know this isn't your first time in the writer's chair, but for you, how is co-writing a comic book compared to your previous writing experience? Uh, so fun. I think I prefer it. <laughs> you know, I, I've written a lot of different scripts for like short form content or just, uh, you know, like videos, but writing a script for a comic is it's, it's a different medium that I'm not used to. And it's so cool. The whole process of building out a comic is this like really fun production because it's a script and then it goes to the artist who inks it and then the colorist and then the letterer. And you could see all the different stages of something that you're like, I think this might be cool. And then it just becomes this beautiful work of art. I think that's like the dream. And I love to continue writing comics. As far as getting this comic kicked off, though, uh, I saw at the back of issue two, you had pictures from the Radiant Pink launch party at the Scum and Villainy Cantina in Hollywood, California. Mm-hmm. I've always been curious about that place and the parties there. Like I know Kevin Smith's Fat Man Beyond podcast is recorded there. Are there any noteworthy events from that night? Custom drinks or surprise appearances, anything like that? Oh my God. Yeah. Megan killed it. Like, so the party <laughs> came about because I had friends that run the PR for that cantina, but I, I have a day job. And so my schedule is really limited and it just so happened at that time I was just like crazy busy. And so like Megan just like took the reins and like, and with Kyle just like created this incredible themed event, like Megan, like Tell her what you did. Yeah. It was like, yeah, yeah. Stuff. So once we got a location, because I was like, hey, we got to do like a launch party, right? Like, I love parties. I'm like known for hosting these amazing like Halloween parties and like Pokemon parties. I'm like, I have to have a launch party for Radiant Pink. It just has to happen. And once Melissa had offered up the venue, I was like, this is brilliant. I went and asked the owners, I'm like, what's our max occupancy? And they told us like 100 people or something like that. And from there, I reached out to Alvericks, who I just originally wanted. They're um, a like woman-owned POC coffee roaster that I've, I've known for a while. And I was like, I, I just originally wanted like a can of coffee to put in these like goodie bags. Because if it's a party, you got to have a goodie bag, right? And they made a whole roast that was a Portal's Kiss. It's like a radiant pink exclusive coffee blend that is so delicious. And you could only get it there. And Kyle was like, hey, if we're doing this big, we might as well have like a party exclusive cover. And Kyle went and put that together. And then I just reached out to everyone. I have ever known or spoken to or or like hung out with online all of my homies from way back when till now my actor friends and it was really cool because even the ones who weren't able to attend they were just like so proud of me and thought it was so cool I'm like hey this comic is like it's about like it's about our life come hang out and it was space themed 
So everyone dressed up. Most people dressed up in pink, which I thought was really cute. I worked with my partner and she helped me create a drink list with themed drinks that people could order, which is really cool because we had little drink tokens. And Scum and Villainy is just so fun. They were so great. They I went in early and set up all the lighting so it felt very radiant pink. Then on the night, Kyle came through with all of these posters and yeah. stuff to add and to the swag the bag yeah. and the cutouts and like a whole bunch of trades and individual issues of Radiant Black. So everyone was that was there. They didn't even a lot of them didn't know about Radiant Black or Radiant Pink. A lot of people who who showed up, that was their first time ever reading a comic or having one that's their own. So that was like a really beautiful thing to kind of like crack open that world and be like, hey, start here. Yeah, we like really got lucky. You don't really get those kind of events for comic books. And Mm -hmm. so the fact that this was such a unique experience was very cool. We got some like amazing Power Ranger people to come. Amy Jo Johnson stopped by. That was really cool. Dan Southworth was there. Um, Alice, the band that created the theme song for the Dead Lucky was there. Like we had a really cool group and it was just, it was a lot of fun and um, a really fun event. I know how to throw a good party, you know? She does. You got to come to the next one. I'm going to need your tips. I I throw a pretty good local Midwest party, but I've never given out little goodie bags. I I think I need to step up my game. Every party needs a goodie bag. You should see the delight in people's faces when they get a goodie bag. I'm going to follow up with you on that. I'm going to need some goodie bag tips. I got you. Now, Megan, you've been on more fast-paced adventures before writing your first comic than most writers will ever come close to experiencing. Do you feel like your time on shows like The Amazing Race have prepared you to write about these big world-spanning adventures uh, like what Ava's going through? Um, You know, I was portaling in a way, right, to different countries and different cities and doing the most insane things. Totally. Um, Amazing Race was an adventure of a lifetime. And I'm not a reality show person. That's not like what I'm striving to be in my Mm -hmm. career. But if there was ever a show, like it would be The Amazing Race. And I was lucky enough to do that twice. I feel like everyone has one show that they're like, okay, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And when that one came knocking, I couldn't resist. But In issue 12 of Radiant Black, I actually pay a little tribute to all of my favorite places I've ever been to in the world. And one of them is uh, Bora Bora, only because it was the first location that we went to on my season when I uh, skydived out of the helicopter. I forget you did such great. So there's a full page spread of like Tokyo and Paris and all these like fun little places that have a lot of meaning to me for me in my life. Um, And when she portals for the first time, she goes to all of them. So I guess you could say it definitely, definitely has helped in terms of research. Your life has genuinely been more interesting than some comic books I've read. (laughs) You're right to be in the right shirt. That's why I had to make it a comic, you know? You you don't even know the half of it. Megan is a badass. She has like color and adventure and every bone in her body. It's crazy. You guys are really gassing me up. I'd like to shift our focus to Power Rangers for a moment, since I usually have to bring it up at some point every episode. Melissa, you've gone from producing content behind the scenes for the show to now writing Power Ranger content yourself. Mm -hmm. So far, how are you enjoying writing for the franchise in comparison? Oh, I'm having a blast. It's so much fun. It's so much fun to, um, it's, it's stressful. (laughs) Um, because if if people don't like what I'm doing I have nobody I can blame it's all me but um, but I'm having a blast it's been it's been really fun just to be able to play in the world and and not be restricted by 
what the franchise rules are in terms of, you know, I'm not the one that, that gets to say yes or no. I'm just the one that gets to ask and then be told yes or no. And, and there's a freedom in that because I can ask for the moon and be really happy when they say yes or, or sad when they say no, but find something else I can do. And I'm very thankful that Boom has given that, that trust to me because they didn't have to. I had only written the dead lucky when they offered me the position. And thankfully, it seems to be paying off so far. I, 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 I hesitate because I know like, what if like there's a decision that comes about and then all of a sudden everybody's going to like be upset about it. But I truly am loving everything I'm doing. I'm really so thankful for my incredible editor, Allison, and the incredible artists that have come on board and brought life to these stories. It's, I am having a blast. Hasbro has been incredibly supportive and Boom has as well. Like I, I truly cannot ask for a better experience. They are lovely. That's funny you mentioned asking for the moon since you literally got the moon in your first issue. I, they have been so generous. I like you have no idea what I've asked for. And they have literally, it's been rare that I've said no. Like there are some really cool things coming. You're writing about characters and seasons from well before your time producing on the show. Do you have any plans or hopes to revisit the seasons and characters you worked on in the book? Or do you think those will mostly stay separate? You know, oh, she's actually going to be auditioning for uh, the Santa Rangers yes. for the uh, Hallmark special. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I would have loved to bring in the Meow Rangers. I just don't think it fits in the world, even though there is a cat ranger there. but. Um, I see you trying with uh, Radiant Pink. I see that there's almost a Meow Ranger. That is all her. I do love me a good cat. I love dogs. I love cats too. Though. Um, I I love the franchise as a whole. And for me, the purpose of this run, it always has been because we're going into 30th anniversary season and I came in at 101. And so, um, but I was in a really unique position that I, I was there. I was in the room when Kyle was pitching Shattered Grid. I was in the room when we got the pitch for the first comic book issue one. So I feel very proprietary to those stories. Even if I didn't write them, I was in the room fighting for them. A lot of the time I was talking to Ryan, I was talking to Kyle. I was working with the brand, what we could and couldn't do. And so characters like Ranger Slayer and Draken and Dane and all these incredible, like Alpha One, all these incredibly unique characters that were brought to life in these books, I feel a lot of real love for. And so the point of this book was always not not to like upend the whole series, but to um, honor what came before it, especially as we're going into a 30th anniversary series. I really wanted to craft a run that would definitely be uniquely me. Uh, you definitely see a lot more romance because I'm I'm a romance person, but <laughs> stop. You must stop. say something else. No, <laughs> no, be good. Um, but she's a menace. Um <laughs> But she's talking about fan fiction, by the way, which like you're not allowed to oh. ever look up because I was like 10 and it's terrible. But um, so good. there's strawberry. Send me the link. No, please don't. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it is one of those things where I'm really just having a blast. And, and the the arc that I've worked towards, it's like you've already seen it in the first five issues you know I, I brought back Alpha One. I really like I, the issue I did with Rita Repulsa where I got to do that beautiful double spread of like Rita Repulsa, this is your life. And it was just like all her in the dumpster. Like that was, that could not have happened if, if it wasn't for those beautiful flashbacks and arcs that Ryan and Kyle did in the series before it. And so I really am taking a heart, just honoring the series and like giving it the, the love. I feel like I could only give it because I've been there for so long. That's another unique perspective, right? In the way that we're able to write together, you are able to write for Power Rangers in a way that no one else will can yeah. 
because you've been a part of all these different parts of it. I mean, I feel like you're like the fans dream as a writer. Well, I don't want to I don't want to say that because I'm afraid there's always like the higher you go, the farther the fall is. Right. But I definitely. Um, well, I said it. I, I, I truly am a fan of, of the, the comic books. I truly love them. And I truly am a fan of the franchise. I mean, I had to. I was with the franchise for so long. There were I, definitely things I, I loved more than others. But I just want to I want to write the books the way I would want to read them. And um, and I'm truly having a blast and having a really good time. 106 is coming out next week. And that's like just been crazy fun. And I hope you know how much that passion and that love for these characters really does show in these issues so far. Like it's more than just the in-depth character dives we might have seen Ryan or Kyle do, but just the sense of urgency in every character's voice around the situation going on and like doing new things, making things work. Like I, I can kind of see that same passion of someone frantically working on things to get the show work or doing everything you can for this book and now being put in the writer's chair. It, it definitely bleeds through into the writer's style in a way that really lends itself well to the story. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Now, Megan, you've previously worked on Power Rangers in multiple ways. Do you see yourself revisiting the franchise in a creative role in the future? <laughs> I mean, that was if I that would that would be great if I could. If there if the stars align. <laughs> That would be awesome. There's a certain grin on both of your faces that makes me wonder how deep I can go on this question. I'm sorry. Um, I I love Power Rangers. I'll I'll bleed pink till I die. So if an opportunity ever comes up, I will gladly morph at the ready. Being ahead of the curve when it comes to Power Rangers and RPGs, now that we have an official licensed Power Rangers RPG and a lot of channels trying to promote their own series and heck I'm on one of them. Do you cool. have any plans to try your hand at the licensed RPG or are you keeping it just a hyperforce? Uh probably just a hyperforce. You know, I think that's where I'll how could I create another character in, in that world, you know? When when Chloe exists with all her burritos, she's just I mean who says you have to create a new one? <gasps> well, I don't know about that one. Um I don't know. I'm not good at answering these questions. <laughs> I've actually had a chance to check out the RPG. I'm really excited to. I love Renegade. I love what they do, but I haven't had a chance to really check it out and see what the rules are and what they're using. Are they using the 5e kind of format? It's very similar to 5e, but yeah, it's this Essence 20 system that's kind of its own thing that can be interchangeable with like Transformers and G.I. Joe and My Little Pony. That makes sense. Cool. It's cool. I'm excited to check it out. I haven't been able to play a good RPG in a long time. so. It'll be fun. The last one that you truly what dug into was the Unleashed. Yeah, that was a good one. That was fun. <laughs> now, Melissa, in your short time on the book already, we've seen a number of Power Rangers firsts from showing what Lord Zed looks like under his mask or having the Rangers escalate a fight by calling the robots before the monster grows. Were these things you set out to do intentionally as first, like as soon as you got the book? And do we have any other big first coming up? Yes, you have a lot of other big first coming up. <laughs> but honestly, truly, I don't. I, I just go where the story takes me. And and, and thankfully, I, I'm lucky to have an incredible editor and, and incredibly supportive people at Hasbro who let me do them because I don't know if I would have let them do this if I were still there. But honestly, it truly feels like whatever is in line with the character at the moment, a lot of those decisions, that's how it comes. So like 
when Rita as Mistress Vile ripped off Lord Zed's visor, it felt true to the character at the moment because she was freaking furious at him and she wanted to kill him and she wanted to humiliate him. And what is the most humiliating thing you can do with a guy that is hiding most of his face and to, uh, hiding that threatening, you know, gross looking face? You, you tear off his mask and, and you discard it. And that just like what that is the thing that she felt like she would do in that moment. So I did it. And I really wanted to really break Zed down and make him feel truly defeated because that's that was part of the arc that I was envisioning for him. And and the same thing for Kimberly. Kimberly is in a really dark place right now and she was really angry and she had just she feels really responsible for what happened to Matt and she she's not in love with Matt anymore but he's her first love. It's a very special place that he holds in her heart and to know that he's up there and to know that he's in pain and he's hurting that is something that is really difficult for her and to have this fight happen and have it be it just felt so like purposely nostalgic right like the monster is silly it's like making these silly silly puns you're having these moments where the rangers are like oh no no what are we gonna do it's not getting in there nothing's happening why can't we why doesn't this work and it starts to feel in the moment for her very circular like uh there's a a song called a six cycle carousel right like it just felt like it was just going over and over again and she just could see exactly what was going to happen and in that moment i feel like she broke a little bit and it was just like mm. no <laughs> i'm like tommy was hurt and they were going to do this all over again and like so and she just said no and she called her zordon and, and like zordon's rules exist for a reason and i won't say that there won't be consequences for the road that she's taking but it felt right in the moment for her to do that, to escalate the battle and not feel particularly bad about it. We're at a really interesting time for Kimberly because Matt Groom's incredible run set that up for where she is. She's thinking about leaving. She's not, she doesn't want to be a Power Ranger forever. And, and when you're, when you see an exit door like that, you start to see the cracks as opposed to Tommy, who only sees the love, he wants to be a Ranger forever. And it's a really interesting place for her given that. And so you're going to see, you're going to see some bold moves from Kimberly. She gets away with it this time. I don't think she's going to get away with it forever. There's a reason why those rules are in place. But every time those kind of decisions, a lot of times I'll have a big moment. Like there's a big moment at 106 where I was just like, this is what I want to do. And we planned it and we got approvals and we did all this crazy stuff. But a moment like that where Kimberly just escalates the battle, that came in the script. That came in the beat sheet where I was just like, Kimberly, Kimberly's really pissed off. This is what it feels like right for her at the moment. She's going to escalate the battle and cut it off. No, you, you sold me on your run with that one moment. I'm like, okay, 10 more years of this. I'm here for it. But on that note of, yeah, like Kimberly working toward a point where she may leave the team. And we've also introduced a number of other elements from later seasons, like Master Vile, the Zeo Crystal, the Turbo Villains, and Dark Spectre, all that. I've noticed the previous runs have all kind of stuck to one general era of Power Rangers on the show. Do you plan on tackling any of these kind of transitionary periods of the team as far as like changing swords, changing powers? Uh, or is that something you can't quite reveal? Um, I don't want to reveal too much yet. What I will say is that I have a very specific arc right now, and it is it is very focused on on Mistress Bile. I wouldn't say no to seeing other rangers, but am I working consciously towards like, okay, this is when the Zeo powers come in, and this is when you know the Turbo? No, I have a very specific story that is being told at this very specific time, and that's kind of where I'm keeping my focus. But that doesn't mean we don't; those villains aren't out there, and those rangers aren't out there. 
And we kind of see it a little bit, you know, or if I, if I can get those opportunities, I'll take them just like, you know, I really wanted Diva Talks to be the one that opens Rita's dumpster because I freaking love the frenemy kind of cat fighty relationship between Rita and Diva Talks. And, you know, I, I saw an opportunity again for Rito and that again came from the script to have a really significant moment for Rito, even though he wasn't in the script, to just even have a mention of Rito and have that change how people see that character. And so um, if there's an opportunity, I take it, but I'm definitely, I'm not of the opinion that Power Ranger comic books need to service everything and need to service every loophole and every unseen story. I think that really depends on the writer and the arc that they're taking and everything should be in service of the characters and the arc. And so that's kind of what I'm doing, if that makes sense. Now, Megan, as far as your time with Power Rangers goes, with Hyperforce being something so different and new to the Power Rangers franchise, like what led to you being a player on Power Rangers Hyperforce and getting in that position? Yeah, yeah. So I have loved Mighty Morphin Power Rangers since I was a kid. If you looked at like some of my old homework, they're like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I always wanted to be the Yellow Ranger. And uh, I remember my parents had a talk with me after being the Yellow Ranger for like the sixth or seventh time in a row for Halloween, where like the costume didn't fit me anymore. It was up to my knees, basically, but I made it work. Um, They're like, you know, sometimes you can like really want something, but it just may not be in the cards for you. And a little bit of my, like my dreams died because I was like, yeah, you're right. I live in Modesto. How am I ever going to be a Power Ranger? That's like the furthest thing. I'll be lucky if I can get a job that is, you know, above 30000 a year to, to pay my bills. But little did I know the internet was going to change my life forever. I, I always talk very passionately about Power Rangers and my friend Yoshi Sadarso. I had tried to get me to audition a couple times when he was auditioning. He's like, you should come out, come out for pink or for yellow or pink or like whatever they have. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know if that's like, I feel like I'm a little bit too old. I don't know if that's my thing. You'd have to be live two years in New Zealand. It just didn't really make sense. And there's a part of me that's like, if I were ever to be a Power Ranger, it'd have to be such a very specific situation. And I think my parents' voice was in the back of my head too, like, let that dream die, Megan. You've done so much. You've lived so much. It's okay to let this one slide. And then Yoshi reached out to me and he's like, you're not going to believe it. I have this crazy opportunity for you and you're going to finally get to be a ranger. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, they're doing this RPG system, which I've never done before. And he's like, but it's so chill. It's with Power Rangers. It's canon. It's going to be incredible. Come, like, come out for it. I was like, am I going to be able to be yellow? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm in because I don't want to be pink. And he's like, yeah, dude, of course, we're going to take care of you. I'm like, he shouldn't have promised that. Um, (laughs) He did. He lied to me. So I I show up and I'm learning a little bit about it. I remember when they like gave me their play cards and I was like, uh, I was like, oh, this one's pink. I was like, where's the yellow one? And, And the yellow one was a dude. And I was like, wait, oh, no. I'm like. I'm like the Caucasian facing girl with blonde hair. I'm like, I'm, I'm the pink one, huh? And they're like, but look how cool she is. Like she has a Phoenix sword. Like this will be your thing. And I've always hated the color pink. And it's just, it was a funny journey. Cause I'm like, I get to be a Power Ranger. No one's like anyone who's ever been a fan. It doesn't matter what color you're going to be. Mm-hmm. Like you just, you're like, yes, ma'am. I'm, I, I am in. 
But this one was a tough one for me. And I had to really like kind of ask myself, like, why do you hate the color pink? And a lot of it was because I was the only girl out of four boys in a Latin household. So there's a lot of stereotypes pushed on me when I've I've always felt really like kind of in between. I, I like the things that I like, not gender specific. I just like them because I like them and I don't like when things are pushed on me. And I'm like, I'm going to make pink my own. So that is the origin story of my pink hair and how I became a Power Ranger. We um we we wanted yellow to be a guy and we wanted a female Black Ranger. And pink, I just think it just made sense for pink to be female in the way that everything worked out. And I mean, I look great no, she, in pink. I think this is the best it, thing for my it, wardrobe. I mean, <laughs> Megan obviously killed it and we were really lucky to have her. It was thanks to Yoshi and his connections for bringing Megan on board. I mean, she just, you know, inhabited the character so well. And Chloe uh, would not be so iconic were it not for Megan. But it was definitely, you definitely saw the conflict on her face when she found out she was going to be. And I'm like, who told you you were going to be? (laughs) But there was like cold in the room. That's like an anime, you know, when the chill sweeps over. I was like, are you where, where's the yellow one? (laughs) That was funny. I'm just imagining the most ominous version of the Bulk and Skull theme song as that yellow sheet gets pulled up and you slowly find out Bulk himself has taken that role from you. And like, how would I ever fight with Polly about that? Like, he gets to be whatever he wants. He's legacy. (laughs) So I was, it made it easier, if anything. I was like, okay, I'll just, I'll calm down. We got very lucky with the cast that we got. We got an incredible, incredible cast. And I don't know if Hyperforce would have worked with anybody else on the team. They were all fantastic. Now, as far as the book goes, Melissa, what do you hope to bring to the comic that we haven't seen from previous writers, like with Kyle kind of bringing the big, like the big two crossover event to it, or Ryan's in-depth, like very kind of high school slice of life character study? Is there anything specific you're really aiming to bring to the series? Um, I never really thought about like what I like could do differently than those guys because what they did was always it was just so incredible I don't, I don't think I ever want to and and Matt and and Marguerite everybody that has touched that franchise has left their own indelible mark I think for me I want to bring my experience to it I want to bring the unique position that I'm in and that I was with the brand for so very long and I've loved the series so very long and I've read all 100 issues and I've seen Pretty much every single Power Rangers episode there is to watch. Um, There's very few people in that position that can say that. And so with that comes a lot of genuine love. I wouldn't ever call myself a super fan because I don't think I know as much as the super fans do. And I don't think I ever will. But um, but I have a lot of love for the authenticity of the brand and and what I feel makes it great. And um, and I truly don't ever think I want to be unique about it. I think a lot of, I borrow a lot of flavor from Ryan and Kyle. And I'm really those, I mean, those two are my mentors. I mean, Kyle, even now is my mentor. He, you know, it's a very funny situation because I was his boss for such a long time. And now essentially he's mine on so many different projects. And, and he's just, he's so wonderfully creative. And and so is Ryan and, and Matt. And like, we were just all in a meeting for Supermassive and just being able to sit there and listen to their brains and how they think the story and what works for their characters and what doesn't. And truly, I'm not trying to do anything different. I think I'm just trying to tell a story that I think the fans will love. I think I'm trying to pay homage to a hundred issues of Power Rangers in, in a meaningful, fun way. 
And I'm trying to tell the Power Rangers that I feel that the fans who have been reading this issue and maybe other fans that will pick it up will want to read and have fun reading. That's really all I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to break the mold and I'm not trying to like strike out on my own and make my own mark. I'm just trying to tell a really fun story um, with a lot of love because I love every single person that has worked on this book. And I love the fans who have supported me and and been with me and, and just been so lovely during that, during that transition. And, and I just want to tell a story that is going to make people excited and, and make people have fun. And, and I do have selfish parts. Like I, I have been waiting to tell the Zach and Trini romance for a long time, ever since Pink. So I have my little moments and I, I freaking love Rita. I always have. And so I wanted her to be my main villain. And I have my selfish little bits that I want to throw in there. I wanted to bring Alpha One back because I freaking love Alpha One. But for me, ultimately, at the end of the day, I'm not trying to do anything wholly unique or I'm not trying to break the mold. I'm just trying to do a run that I think fans will enjoy and will do justice to this incredible run that came before me. I feel like there's almost no one in the world that would know more about the quote unquote rules of the franchise than you with working behind the scenes so long and seeing people try and swing things for the comics for a while. And I'm noticing a bit of a through line in your few issues so far of breaking the rules, like with the escalation there's stuff with rita's backstory dark specter and alpha one of kind of breaking the rules of the franchise almost and i think that'll be really interesting to see someone who knows the franchise in depth as you and basically steering away from what we've come to expect from it well i mean you're breaking the rules uh, apparently um yeah you have to you have to know what the rules are and you have to know them implicitly if you want to break them Right. And, and you have to be careful about which rules you break and what they mean and what works in my benefit and what didn't work to the benefit of the guys <laughs> is that I was I was the executive <laughs> when they were writing the books. And um, and we had a very different team in place at, at, at Saban and Hasbro. And and so there were times when they wanted to do things and we said no and for different reasons and, and sometimes really great reasons and t- sometimes reasons that I can't remember why there were even a thing. But that I'm not the person who's being asked. So, and luckily the people that are being asked are, are letting me do things. <laughs> so I remember Kyle said something about like, they weren't allowed to do the coin toss. And I'm like, did we say no to that? Why did we say no to that? And then I was like, I want to do the coin toss. And they were like, okay. So it really just, it's just a matter of timing. I think I just got lucky that we have an incredibly supportive group at Hasbro. Yeah. So, dead lucky. Dead lucky. <laughs> now question for both of you. If either of you were to write a last adventure style comic for one of the Rangers, like Soul of the Dragon is for Tommy, what Ranger would you pick to explore their later years? Ooh, for me, I, I really think Catherine is Kat is an underappreciated Ranger. I think she is a badass and she's very freaking cool. And so if I could tell a story from Kat's perspective, especially knowing that that she ends up marrying Tommy and that they have a kid and that he stays a ranger pretty much forever and she doesn't. I think it'd be really interesting to see things from her perspective. I think that'd be very cool to be able to tell a story from Kat's perspective. I think as much as I love Kimberly as the OG Pink, I I just absolutely love Catherine's journey and what she has to bring to the table. And I think um, she, she deserves more love. That excites me knowing that we're kind of coming to that point in the series where she appears. I know she's often overshadowed by the original, but yeah, there's a lot of good merit to Catherine. And I hope I get to see you explore that a bit in your own book. But uh, Megan, what about you? 
I mean, let's see. There's Trini. There's Ranger Slayer Kim. There's Jen Scotts. She's great. I mean, any of those three, that could be really fun. Would they ever allow me to be as crazy as I am with those characters? Probably not. So this is a very unrealistic situation. I feel like I could only possibly write in my true style for my character. <laughs> Maybe the like old man Logan version of your own character on Hyperforce. That seems like the most yeah! you option. Yeah, that would be perfect. I think that's the only way it would be. It would be legal. <laughs> I want to see a 60 year old Chloe burritos. Yo, she would tear it up. She'd still throw down. I know things like across the brand are a little bit different than they used to be, but Melissa, do you have any interaction with the other Power Ranger writers like on the upcoming books like Rangers Academy and Power Rangers Unlimited or Um, anything with the show writers? When it comes to event stuff, I do. So for like, for example, the series that was just announced, Coinless, the Coinless Universe, that that came out of a conversation that I had with my editor, Allison, and we talked about specifically that story and why it needed to be told and, and who needed to tell it. And um, I'd been a fan of Adam for years and I've always been a fan of, of his horror. And I, there was something like that story serves a very particular purpose. And it does just like I've been tying the unlimited books to the run and you can see it, that book itself tells a story that ties to the event itself. So I do have, um, I did have conversations with Adam and, and like I was very much involved in the initial stuff before he, he wrote the story. In terms of Ranger Academy, no, that is a completely different thing. That is, I think that's being edited. That's pretty yeah. fun. It's, 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 I, I, I got a preview of it a long time ago and it's absolutely, it's, it's a, like a different age range. I think it's meant to be younger and it's through Daphna mm, and, you know, Daphna is cool. freaking amazing. And so like, it's, it's a fun book, really fun, but it has nothing to do with what I'm doing, which is a little older, a little darker, a little more, you know, in line with what they were doing. This is more of a different like boomboxy kind of lumberjanesy, I think, title. So it really depends on on which what it is and which writer. If it has anything to do with the stuff on the main series, then yeah, usually um, they're very generous about allowing me to have a little bit of a, a say in terms of who might be cool or, or that sort of thing. Ultimately, always it's, you know, up to Bryce and Allison and the beautiful people at Boom. But I am allowed to kind of architect things a little bit when it comes to stuff that interacts with the main series. Final question around Rangers before shifting elsewhere. We've seen in recent years Power Rangers lean more and more into queer representation, like having our first queer ranger on the show with Izzy, even seeing it in the comics with our first lesbian and non-binary rangers. Do you personally have any intention of introducing more queer representation into the book or any new characters yourself? I mean, I would love to. That is for me. Again, it's always about servicing the story. And so um, Mm -hmm. and so at this point, it's, it's a matter of serving the characters that are already on the table. But but if I can, I will. It really again, it's a licensed book. So it's one of those things where they're not mine, these characters. And so I have to find the real estate in the space and do justice to a character in order to bring them on the table and allow them to contribute meaningfully to the story. And that's what I want to do. But it has to be set up properly first and it has to make sense for the character. It's it's going to be it would be a very difficult task to take an existing character. And then I don't think I'd be able to get away with um, taking an existing character and then giving them a, a different kind of sexuality. I don't think that that would be something that I could possibly be able to do. But you never know. And anything's possible. I I mean, I. I want queer representation. I want all representation. It's Power Rangers. Power Rangers is meant to be for everybody, but I don't have the kind of freedom and control to do that sort of stuff as I would with like Dead Lucky or Radiant Pink or that sort of thing. 
happen. I mean, I, I freaking love Power Rangers. I love that. Like we we worked so hard with Solar Ranger and like being able to finally do that kiss with the with her and her girlfriend Remy. Like it meant so much. And then to see it in the actual series again meant so much. And so I would love to continue doing that. I'd love to be able to include more inclusive characters. But for me, it's it's about the journey and making sure that the the character makes sense for the story that I'm telling and trying to make it as inclusive as possible. Looking at both of your other work, Megan, in researching some of your past projects, Fight of the Living Dead really jumped out at me with its premise. And Mm -hmm. I don't think I'll ever have the chance to speak with someone that's fought zombies on reality TV again. So Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear more about your experience on that show. The craziest thing about that is I made it to the very end and Jesse thought I was a zombie and didn't let me into the car. So we both should have won. Because I got up on top of the car, but they had to refilm it as we escaped. And they're like, oh, yeah, you have to take the L. And I'm like, that's garbage. I would have always survived the zombie apocalypse. I'm like, whatever. Hmm. But that was really cool. <sighs> Black Box was the, the, they're the producers behind that. And talk about an immersive experience. I totally forgot where I was for a bit and definitely felt like I was fighting zombies and running through this like old abandoned hospital. It was so scary and so real. And people were dropping like flies, but I was portaling everywhere, dodging them left and right. That was so long ago, though, when I think about it. I just remember it actually being quite terrifying, but so fun. I didn't even know about that until you told me about it. And then I was like, Megan, what is this? And I like went and like looked it all up. And I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> Thank you for that. Incredible. I got to see another side of Megan. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, is that where that came up from? Because she, she was asking me about it. And I was like, what? Yeah, that's where it came from. Okay. I, dang, I really do do my homework. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> you did. Oh, wow. Now, I mean, that show was so fast paced, like in its entirety, it's like 60 minutes. Uh, was that all shot within the span of like a day or? Yeah, a single day. We we got in there, got in our jumpsuits, didn't really know too much about what was happening other than to survive. And they just kept filming the whole thing as it played out. We went through things pretty quickly, though. Mm-hmm. Trying to remember how long it was, but like two and a half hours of us running through this like escape room, basically. Just cool. Melissa, you have your first Marvel book coming up here in like two days. Yeah. Anything you want to tell us about your story in Women of Marvel? I'm, I'm just excited. I mean, it was like, I was a dream come true to get like email in my inbox asking, inviting me to be a part of the project. And so to be like, what could I got to write America Chavez and Kate Bishop. I, like, I, I felt like I was given the keys to, to the world. Like it was just so much fun. And it was the editor I worked with, Sarah, was just so lovely and supportive. And, and I, I really, it was hard to write only because I felt a lot of pressure because I love America mm. so much. But um, and it's just an eight page story. Right. But like I read like 200 pages of comic book because I wanted to know exactly where she was and what she was doing at that particular time. And I read um, and I refreshed myself. I watched I read the entire Young Avengers run again. And then I was mm-hmm. like, oh, Kate's in this. So I need to know what she's doing, too. So I like read all the Kate Bishop mini that came out. And like there's a couple of other characters that pop up. And I was like, OK, I need to read what they're doing. And so it, was, it ended up being like a lot of work, but for like for eight pages. But it was just really fun. And I just I love that relationship so much. And and I love America as a queer Latina. For me, America means so much as as a Marvel character and her friendship with Kate and this like fuzzy relationship that they have is just always really fun. And I just I really wanted to embrace that friendship in a really fun, unique way, especially with America. Spoiler alert, if you guys haven't read the America where she is in this in this particular run where she is right now she's with the thunderbolts 
but she is currently experiencing a sickness that is causing her to lose her powers and eventually may kill her. And, um, and so her powers are glitchy and this whole idea that she came from this alternate dimension that had with her two lesbian moms that were goddesses or whatever, that was all like in her mind that actually wasn't actually true. She actually was her two, her two moms brought her and her sister to a lab on a secret Island with a bunch of other girls called starlings and she escaped, but her sister did not. And uh, recently she was forced to like basically eject her sister out into a different dimension because her sister's evil now. And so there's a lot going on with America. And so to be able to take that experience and where she is in her head right now, now she's back and she's back in New York, just spending time with her family to be able to take that and be like, okay, this is where she is right now. How do I take eight pages and really tell a, a story about women in an interesting way? It was a fun challenge and I really enjoyed it. I'm excited for, I hope people like it. It's my first Marvel story. I hope I get to do more eventually, but even if this is the only one I do, I'm just very grateful to be included. As for your collaborative work, since you're now both creators for the Massive Verse and by extension, Black Market Narrative, do you have any ideas for Black Market Narrative merch relating to your books that we might be able to look forward to? Yeah, slime with glitter in it that <laughs> explodes. I'm pitching it. I don't know if it's going to go into production. I get a lot of no's a lot in my text messages between Kyle and Melissa. So it's really, it'll be hit or miss. Oh, she for went me. with the scratch and sniff pages and I was super into that. But Kyle is just like, I really want to do scratch and sniff. I thought that would be yeah. so cool. He's like, no. Actually, Radiant Pink would be the perfect Massiverse book to do the first scratch and sniff right? issue. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you. Please. Thank like, you. I pitched these ideas. On, Make that a thing. I mean, you can have his black lights. Why can't we have our scratch and sniff? Scratch and sniff. <laughs> well, we don't own um we don't own the rights to Radiant Pink. That's Kyle. Yeah. So the merch ideas always have to come from him, even though we definitely give suggestions. But I do I do own Dead Lucky with with French. So I'm definitely I'll probably be poking Megan for help in terms of merch ideas, but we have pins. And we're hoping to do more stuff too. So it's just a matter, I think, of getting time to breathe and be able to plan that stuff out. I want more t-shirts. I want, like, it's just such a cool design. I'd love to be able to do more with it. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, I would love to see more female-centric merch on the site. Like, I remember uh, Bitch Planet by Kelly Sue DeConnick had, like, a, had leggings that oh sold out super quick. <laughs> yeah. And both Dead Lucky and Radiant Pink. Perfect potential there. Like, a nice little mini jacket. Love a mini jacket. And right. Yes. Perfect for that. Oh and I mean, not female centric here, but like I'm now getting a fairly sizable collection of massive verse books piling up. I would love to have a comic box to Ooh. put them all in like a massive verse box or a super. These are great box. ideas. Girl, you're getting us. You're serving us with some amazing ideas. I feel like I should be writing these all down. Yeah. Uh, well, they'll be recorded for history. So yeah. there you go. Now revisiting dead lucky here. I'm curious, like, how does it feel writing a book about techno fascism in San Francisco while in the real world, like they just had to shoot down a proposal for killer robots on the streets of San Francisco? I mean, it's creepy, but I'm not surprised. <laughs> the technology in Dead Lucky was always meant to be like, this is technology that would be existence five years from now. Like we did our research, we looked and <laughs> we saw what was around. Mm. I went to San Francisco and I took pictures of everything and, and I saw what they were doing. And so I'm not surprised. This is definitely, that was the whole point of, of the Dead Lucky and why we chose to base it in San Francisco was because we're at this really interesting era. I mean, I was just thinking about it the other day and I'm dating myself, but I was just like, 
just the idea of us having these smartphones in our pockets. Like when I was a teenager, we did not have that. You know, we had pagers and it's such a different experience. And so I can't imagine what the world is going to look like in five or 10 years with the AI working the way it is. The AI is changing even our, the comics market where you're seeing a lot of people trying to decide whether or not AI generated books are a thing and should be a thing. And and so we're in a really interesting time. And that's kind of why I wanted to set it in San Francisco when it comes to these robots, because the urban politics of San Francisco and, and that culture clash of new technology and old history, there's no other place I feel like on the West Coast that encapsulates it better than San Francisco, where you have like these incredibly rich Silicon Valley people and these incredibly poor transients and and just trying to figure out how to live in the same world when it's supposed to be an incredibly, it's known for the city, known for its diversity, but also like the rising rent prices and the classism that exists. It's just, it's interesting and sad. And that's what I wanted to portray in the book. So it was scary, but I wasn't surprised. <laughs> that makes sense. Now, you just wrapped up the first arc of Dead Lucky with issue six here. With a trade on the way, is there any bonus material we can expect in the collected edition? Uh, we put in all those recipes. I think there's only one that didn't Good. make it. Um, and then also you get to see the beautiful covers. Otherwise, we didn't have a lot of room for anything else. But it's a beautiful, beautiful book. I'm very proud of it. It's gorgeous. Michael did an incredible job with the design. I'm excited. It's out. It's, I actually have three things out next week. So it's one of three things that are out. It's this, The Dead Lucky Trade, Mighty Morphin 106, and Women of Marvel. So Wednesday is going to be, a, it's going to be a hard to focus on Wednesday because I'm going to be like, what are they doing? What do they think? I hope people like it. Now, congrats on the burgeoning comic career here. Like it's not even been a year since we last spoke and oh, you're I've everywhere. I've been very lucky and fortunate. I cannot, I cannot complain. One last question here, kind of on a personal note, and I can find a different way to end this if this is putting you on the spot too much. But I mean, Melissa, you're writing about, a, well, actually, you're both writing about queer heroes fighting against impossible odds. And Melissa, you're specifically under oppression or some form of fascism. And a lot of your readers are feeling like they have a similar future ahead of them. And as queer creators with platforms, is there any wisdom or encouragement you'd like to share with our listeners as we're heading into this fight? I mean, personally, I'm going to DC in a week to ask my state reps to maybe consider not eradicating people like yeah. me. So any encouragement's very welcome right now. I think for me as a creator, it's incredibly important that that we continue to foster diversity, not just on the pages, but the people writing the content. Like the more stories that we tell about people like us, the more inclusive we are. The more people start to understand that we have stories that are worth telling and that we're just people like everyone else. And for me, I, I fought in this industry for a really long time to be heard, to be seen. You know, I mean, Megan knows, <laughs> Megan has seen me like just yeah, broken down do. because I just felt so invisible. And, and, and it's microaggressions. It's thing you don't see, but it does break you down. It makes you sad. But you just, I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't be able to tell the stories I'm telling now. 20 years ago. I tried. <laughs> Nobody wanted to listen. And I think we just, we have to keep fighting um, when we can't give up. When the people say they don't want us in their space, you know what? There's plenty of people who are looking for representation and to hear about stories like us. And every time you see somebody, like for me, it was Santana from Glee, you know, to see a Latina, unapologetically queer woman, for me, 
was ultimately just such an affirmation for myself. And I think about that, like, if that's how it felt for me, how does it feel for people right now who are looking for that representation? And so I just think people have to know every story has a hero and everybody is a hero. People are allowed. Your story is worth telling and your point of view is worth telling. And there are people that want to read it. And the more we put people like us as heroes in the story, the more other people understand that we are also heroes and our stories are worth being told and worth being invested in. And I just think we're very lucky, Megan and myself, to be in the position where we can say, I want this. I want queer characters. I want inclusive characters. I want trans characters. And I want full-bodied characters. I want, you know, we want a character who is from Pakistan or African-American or whoever, Asian American or pansexual or biracial, and are just, we're able to do that. But it happens because people give us the opportunity to do that. I wouldn't have the dead lucky were not for Kyle, who's a white guy looking out and saying, I want diversity in my team. And so we have to take those opportunities when we get them, but we also have to uplift the people who want to give us those opportunities too. And so, and I'm, I'm grateful to, I'm grateful to the people that are, are willing to fight that fight with us. You know, people like Tom Taylor, people that have had really, may not be the picture of diversity, I may not represent it, but are also passionate about sharing those stories and sharing those platforms. I felt that was very long-winded. And I don't know if that, like, if that made any sort of sense. My turn. It I'm tapping well. in. Trans rights are human rights. Oh, yeah. Trans people belong they matter. They're so, so loved. And we're going so backwards yeah. right now because of people's crazy, small-minded and religious agendas. And just although I may not be there in DC, I stand with you in that and support you and am always trying to do whatever I can to amplify those voices. It's a scary time right now. It's terrifying. I felt like we made so much progress. And the fact that trans rights are just being taken away left and right right now. I, my heart hurts every time I read a new headline. So just know that wherever there's a story being told from me as a creator, as a queer person of color, like I will always make sure those voices are heard and they'll never be silenced when I'm in charge or in a room where I have a little bit of power. So there's a ton of people just like Melissa and I who are on your side and we're fighting for you. And as scary as things are right now, there's no way they get to stay like this. There's no way. So uh, lots of love. Everyone's so freaking valid. And I wish I could get, give everyone a hug yeah, right no, now. I mean, honestly, like, you mess with it. trans people. You mess with all of us. Thank you, Megan, for all of that and very affirming. And Melissa, thank you for all the years of fighting through those boardrooms to get these stories told. So hopefully mine is easier to tell in the future. Thank you for being like so incredibly like active for your community. I mean, voices matter. And you going to D.C. is a huge, huge deal. And, and I applaud your bravery for that. Thank you for that. Before we wrap up here today, is there anything else you'd like to add or promote before we go? Uh, everything I'm doing is top secret. So follow me on Instagram. <laughs> I'm doing a lot of writing right now. So I'm just like, I'm not, I'm the opposite of a social influencer, but I'm, uh, I'm spreading my wings and I'm doing top secret things. I know you can't tell us what, but I'm hoping you can tell us what it isn't. So is it different than what we've seen before uh, on YouTube and such? 
Oh, for me? Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's nothing that you can predict for what's about to be announced for me. I have a couple projects that I'm just waiting. I'm literally waiting for them to be announced. And just confirming, is it a, at Strawberry17 on Instagram as well? Yes. Excellent. Um, Melissa, what about you? Um, again, I got stuff that I can't really talk about, but obviously really cool stuff coming on Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. I feel like we're kind of at the point where um, you definitely should be reading every issue because things are ramping up significantly. It's going to be very cool, very fun. We've got a lot of really cool things coming on the Power Rangers front that I'm really excited to share when when the time comes that I can't talk about. Dead Lucky is going to be part of the Supermassive, which is the big crossover featuring the rest of the Massiverse characters. It's looking really cool. I'm really excited about the book. That's going to be out, I believe, May, June, June-ish. And then Dead Lucky is coming back probably July, august with the second arc. Women of Marvel coming out in this Wednesday. This yeah. Wednesday. And so um, two hopefully days after people the time enjoy recording. it. Um, and, and hopefully eventually I get to write more. I've got an incredibly cool anthology story in Oni Press's anthology called Xeno. Uh, that's coming out in June, which I get to do something like very horror focused. And, and I have incredible artists with me working on that. And then, uh, God, there's other stuff, but I can't really talk about it. Um, there's I'm, I'm the job that I have right now. I'm really excited to eventually share. Hopefully I'll be able to, to talk about what I'm doing during the day. But otherwise, just, yeah, keep an eye on Missy underscore Flores on both Instagram and Twitter. And I'm just I'm just grateful to be able to do what I love. And I hope people continue to enjoy it. Thank you again, Megan and Melissa, for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you both on the show. And I really can't wait to see what's in store for the upcoming issues of Radiant Pink and all these undisclosed future projects. <laughs> Thank you for having us. It was such a pleasure. To everyone listening at home, keep an eye out for the existing and upcoming issues of Radiant Pink at your local comic shop. And pick up the upcoming trade of Dead Lucky if you have the chance. If you have requests or recommendations for content you'd like us to cover in the future, you can send them our way on social media. You can find us on the Giant Size Violence Facebook page or on Twitter as at Ultramegacast or email us at GiantSizeViolence at gmail.com. I'd like to thank you for giving our podcast a chance and give a special shout out to artists Ray Day Parade and Dark Moon Home Video for designing our logo and cover photos. Our intro and outro music is Urinace Kid by Demon Dice from their album Alcatraz. We hope you join us again as we continue to explore the movies and shows that Ultra Mega and other Toku comics draw influence from. But until then, take care and remember to do your part in preventing the spread of the Kaiju virus. Raise your gaze until your death beats all and shake your fist